This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Monday, February 12th, 2024. I heard an amazing, amazing idea uh, today on Twitter. Um, if that doesn't shock you too much. I'm... Um, uh, Twitter's not a place for not a good amazing. I see some amazing <laughs> stuff on Twitter, but not good amazing. This idea was so amazing that I'm prepared to dedicate my life to it. Um, this woman suggested that uh, that what we should do is have a can of olives run for president and uh, and vote them in for president. And frankly, I'm on board. I just thought that was you know. I, I don't see how anyone could could disagree with that idea. So with a can of olives. A can of olives for president. She might have said a bottle of olives. Now we had some other people who chimed in and, and wanted to get in like a jar of of uh pickles or you know some other food related condiments. So we may have to hold a party convention to nominate which food stuff to uh to pick for president but it it seems to be an idea that is already gaining ground in like the eight hours since i originally posted it so you know if you want to be in on the ground level of the next big political movement in america uh can of olives for president folks it's uh wow it, it like cannot be wrong it cannot be worse than uh, than what we've been having. So, well, there you go. That that might be an idea whose time has come. Uh, of course, not everybody likes olives, so that was uh, one and, of the one of the divisions. Was like, is it green olives or black olives? Does it have pimentos? So these things have to be worked out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to to appeal to the a broader audience, you know, broad platform, you'd want to go with the simple, the humble black olive. Uh, if, if you wanted to be if you wanted to be elitist, then you go straight to Kalamara, Kalamata olives. And, and people pointed out that you'd want pre-pitted black olives because uh, those are generally more popular as well. So I was taking that suggestion on board. I agree mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. How was your week, by the way? Oh, my week was good. Nothing special to report. Uh, there was a big stupid game on Sunday. I watched most of it. It was big, stupid, and boring. Uh, but the company was good. Um, I watched a I watched a dumb action flick with Vince Vaughn because I uh, last week or two weeks ago I sat down and started watching True Detective season two. Never watched that before, so. I gave it a try. Now, all of the uh, the streaming platform now thinks that I want to see Vince Vaughn shows. Uh, so I, I saw a dumb action flick called uh, Brawl on Cell Block 99. I, I did not know Vince Vaughn did action flicks. It's not really his thing, but but uh, do you like stupid violence? I, I actually do like stupid violence. <laughs> Do you like hilarious, over-the-top makeup and effects? Uh, 
for like for like when bodies get maimed. Sure, I I, I get into that sometimes. Then I can recommend Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine. It's really stupid, and you'd love it. <laughs> I I will have to see that sometime. I actually have not watched any movies this week, uh, despite intending to. Um, just not a one. Uh, hmm. I've been re-watching a show that I I can't even quantify why I'm re-watching it. I've already done the review for this for our show, so I can't even see I'm doing it for a review. I'm just inflicting it on myself. I, I what have you I mean, done? I'm not, I'm not technically watching it. Like I'll be I'm playing a video game, and then the show will be playing on my computer, so I barely look at it i just hear it uh, they call that monitoring in the uh, communication science space you're just monitoring a show like you have it on while you're washing dishes or something but yeah i i was monitoring the show and and uh i don't know what my opinion was last time but, but i can't imagine it's approved this time <laughs> i'm not even going to mention the show but yeah uh, I, I'm now up to season five. Uh, actually, technically, I'm now almost through season five, and I'm like, I'm still thinking and have been since season three. Why am I doing this to myself? I don't even really like this show. It's a comedic animated show, and the laughs are few and far between. And I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing it? Maybe I've gotten used to the pain. There are some things that are so painful that I just can't watch. Just seeing like a little clip of them has been enough to warn me off of them. Like, have you heard of Has Been Hotel? Yes. I've heard that name before. I, I can't. I can't. Couldn't even finish the clip. Somebody posted online. It was so awful. And, and I'm not going to watch it, not even to review, because I couldn't give it an honest review, except to say, look, this looks dreadfully awful. I'm not going to review it. I mean, one of the things I was thinking of when we were setting up our, like, Patreon is is to have a, um, like, a, a high tier where people could request a review, like, once every six months or something, but I'd have to have some kind of caveat in there like where if it's so bad at some point i'm just gonna have to say you know uh, you know warning caveat emptor i may not actually watch this <laughs> i have subjected myself to enough torture at this point to where i've earned the right to not watch something that's awful even to review it oh I watched Prodigy. Have you heard of Prodigy? No. It's the Nickelodeon's kids' show, Star Trek computer animated show. Oh. And oh, oh, I watched all of it. Um, all of it. And do you remember me and other people railing about how Discovery was so bad? 
Yep. Prodigy is so awful, it makes Discovery and the rest of those shows better by comparison. That's... That's disconcerting. It makes them almost good by comparison. That's how bad this show was. And you'll notice I didn't review it. I just let it slide because I was like, there, there's nothing I can say about this show that isn't just don't watch it. <laughs> And, and I finished watching it like three weeks ago. And there's literally nothing about this show that, that isn't just don't watch it. Trust me, it's awful. Don't watch. <laughs> really, the, the Nickelodeon kids show about Star Trek, awful. You, you really, uh, you're really stretching the imagination there. You're activating the almonds. I, I, I watched the whole thing. And and, and you got to put Hasbin Hotel on that level. Like, I voluntarily watched all of Prodigy, and I couldn't even sit through, like, a two-minute clip of Hasbin Hotel. So that's the level of I can't even – I can't even review this show. I watched all of Prodigy – it made Discovery look good by comparison, and I can't even finish a two-minute clip of Hasbro Hotel. So if we're arranging things in a hierarchy, that's where Hasbro Hotel comes in. Dang. So, uh, so good news. You mentioned the uh, you mentioned the blog or the the uh, Patreon. Oh yeah, I I hear that's up and running. The blog is, we did a soft launch like I promised. Uh, we've got two posts up right now. I'm, I'm planning on putting another post up for today. Um, the, uh, and it is just a soft launch. I haven't got all the sidebars put in because we want links to other things and email address, copyright notice, things like that. Um, so it is just soft launch right now, but there are two, two blog posts up. Um, it is at geekgab fest.wordpress.com that's geekgabfest.wordpress.com and because it is just soft launched right now the planned links to Patreon and Subscribestar are not live because um, we uh, we're not going to ask for money until you know things are up to the level of quality uh, where we want them to be, um, which hopefully we'll get done this week. But the blog's up. It's it's soft launched, and hopefully by next Monday, everything will be in place. Um, one of the things I want to do is put a picture in every post, things like that. So, um, A you know, picture in every post, a chicken in every pot. Yes, um oh uh, yeah speaking of a chicken in every pot um that that brings us to today's topic in a roundabout way i, I posted some stuff 
on Twitter yesterday about RPGs, and I got, this is not unusual for me, the response I got, because I posted something that was clear, that was unambiguous, that was forceful, and I got basically a bunch of responses that boiled down to, I'm so offended because you were clear and unambiguous and forceful. Um, so these chickens were running around clucking, um, oh, how can he say that? Oh, what is he saying? Oh, you, you can't say that. You're being so mean. Oh, I'm so offended. Oh, get it off your high horse. Oh, whatever. Get off your high horse was literally a real quote. <laughs> Abs absolutely not, uh. Accusing me of, of insulting people. I'm like, dude, I didn't insult anybody. I didn't even talk about anybody. Oh, you're you're telling us how to play D and D. I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't tell anyone how to play anything. That's literally not what I said. The physical words I typed up being demonstrated in phosphors, being displayed in phosphors on your screen literally contain no words that say that. You're just offended because I was clear and unambiguous and forceful. And there is a large faction of geeks, and I don't mean that to be, you know, uh, necessarily derogatory i mean people who are into comics fantasy and science fiction and horror who are into role-playing games or video games there's a large faction of them who are just offended when you say things clearly and unambiguously especially if you are so correct they can't gainsay what you've written if they cannot summon an argument against you, they get frustrated and angry and lash out by saying stupid things like that. Because geeks are generally above average intelligence. They're used to being the smartest person in the room. And when they suddenly find out they're not the smartest person in the room, it undermines or threatens to undermine their whole self-image. And these guys suddenly found out that they were not the smartest person in the room because they met someone who was smarter than them and was better at arguing than them. And that was me. Um, so I want to read the post. This is what I said. DMs are not authors. DMs are not supposed to be authors. DMs trying to be authors ruins gameplay. If you want to be an author, write a damn novel. Games are about player agency 
not a DM reciting his pre-designed story. Let players make choices and see where it goes. Now, this has the benefit of being simple, has the benefit of being direct, and it has the benefit of being right. It cannot be argued against. It can only be waffled against. Now, there are some people who misunderstood it. There are some people who, and this is not a knock against them. All the things I've said previously sound like insults. This specifically cannot be taken as an insult. There are people who have not absorbed the truth yet because it takes time to learn things. It takes time to change your path, right? Yeah. That is only human. You cannot criticize those people if they haven't accepted it yet. That's just the way it is. Whenever you encounter a radical new idea, it just takes time to accept it. That's fine. I'm cool with that. But there's a bunch of people who got offended because they couldn't make an argument against it. And so they decided that I must be a bad person because they couldn't make an argument against it. And uh, tough luck. But what I wanted to talk about on this show, and I want to pause to give you a chance to comment on that tweet before I get into it, is why role-playing games, we're talking about tabletop role-playing games, not computer role-playing games, we're talking about pen and paper role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, Rifts, Torg, Shadowrun you know, RuneQuest, Glorantha, Call of Cthulhu, Deadlands, um, and all the others. I'm talking about the definition of what those are. But I want to pause and let you, you know, if you have anything to say about that post, I'm going to let you talk. Uh, the, the thing that strikes me the most, I mean, besides, of course, you're right. You're right, of course. Uh, this... This sort of meme of DMs as failed authors, uh, we've been struggling against this problem for years, probably decades at this point. Um, and there's still like, I like to think it's a it's a gradually vanishing uh, portion of the player base, but it's not really the players. I don't want to digress too far, but it, people who don't treat it like a game or they treat it like their, their social hour, their improv hour or something like that, uh, that, that don't recognize that the, the simple fact or the simple pleasures of a story emerging from the results of the game, uh, that, that everybody and I, everybody I know who's ever played a game like this, has encountered this type of game master who, uh, you know, 
railroads the players, wants to write his own story or something like that. Sort of, we've been, everybody in the hobby sort of been fighting back against that type of attitude and that type of player for years now. What you said is true. It's it's not meant to be offensive or anything like that. It's also something that we've been saying for years, right? Like, stop. If you want to write a novel, go write a novel. We're all here to play a game. Um, yet, the attitude persists. Which, when when you're on Twitter, sometimes makes for some fun. Let me tell you why the attitude persists. I'm listening. I'm all up, ears. Up until now, no one, no human being under the sun, no designer, no critic, no player, no game master has ever come up with a satisfactory definition of what a role-playing game is. A clear, unambiguous definition of what a role-playing game is. Every single definition of what role-playing games are have been kind of murky, kind of sort of gotten at it, and they have basically boiled down to, well, role-playing games are what the, the thing we do when we do what we call role-playing. And they have all tried, and they have all tried to do their best. But no one, until now, has ever come up with a correct, precise definition of what a role-playing game is. So I'm going to tell people what a role-playing game is in such a clear and unambiguous way that it can never be doubted before, or never can be doubted again. A role-playing game is a game in which players take on a role and face obstacles set up by the game master and use their innate ingenuity empowered and limited by their role to overcome those obstacles. That's what a role-playing game is. I can explain deeper. When you play a role-playing game, you face obstacles. The obstacles may be tactics in a combat. They may be traps in a dungeon. They may be problems of survival. They may be resource management. They may be social obstacles of trying to talk to an NPC for whatever reason. You use your player ingenuity to get around those obstacles, to overcome those obstacles in some way. The role you have taken on, whether you are a fighter, and we're going to use AD&D for this, or a magic user, or a cleric, or a thief, gives you certain abilities to help you overcome those obstacles, but also limits you in certain ways. 
to prevent you from dealing with those obstacles in certain ways, thus forcing you to be more ingenious in how you approach those obstacles. The limitations on your character force you to be more ingenious. They're another form of obstacle or an added compl uh, complexity on top of your obstacles. So for example, in AD&D, clerics have no missile weapons. They can only engage in melee. They don't have anything range other than the third level spell spirit hammer, which you have to get pretty far up to get. So a role-playing game is a game in which players take on a role and face obstacles set up by the GM, use their player ingenuity, limited and uh, enhanced by their role to overcome those obstacles. That is what a role-playing game is, period. Every other definition of a role-playing game is wrong. Bold, ambitious take. Now, people are going to say, well, what about playing your role? What about when you talk to people? And I'm going to say, when you talk to NPCs, you are trying to accomplish something. Because if you're just noodling around, it gets boring. If you don't have obstacles in a role-playing game, it gets boring. If the obstacles are too easy to overcome, it gets boring. And sometimes there's a lot of color added to it to make things interesting. Describing the situation, which is very important, as I've said, in the past, and I will hold to that because the GM's job is to describe the situation, ask the players what they do, the players tell them what they do, the GM adjudicates the rules and describes the new situation, asks the players what they do. That's the game, you know, that's the game flow, that's the circle of gameplay, that's how you encounter and overcome obstacles. That's where things are interesting come in. That's how things, how you keep things interesting. You should keep the game moving. So, how you encounter and overcome obstacles is that gameplay loop. So we have a definition of what a game is and a definition of what the gameplay loop is. How you encounter and overcome obstacles. Those are the two fundamental pieces that you need to make role-playing games work. And the, the third piece you also need is what are the rules for? Because I said the game, the game master uses the rules 
the rules provide the framework to adjudicate character actions, player actions in the game. They define the framework in which they define how players and characters overcome obstacles. They define what you do to overcome obstacles. I like it. I think I'd... Uh, uh, that's a very good definition. Uh, I'd even go so far as to say correct, but I would quibble on one thing on one thing, which is, uh, I think you've already anticipated this objection uh, based on what you just said, but uh, you know, the player takes on a role and within this game world, right. Or within the framework of the rules, uh, the players attempts to achieve a goal. The, and often the goal changes based on what sort of game you're playing whether the goal is personal power or wealth or, uh, you know, vengeance or, or what have you, you know, you may have a personal goal and the obstacles, there are obstacles in the way of that goal. So I, I, so what you said about obstacles is absolutely right. I, I would generalize it a little bit more to say that, that the characters, the players are there to achieve their characters goals, which necessarily mean overcoming obstacles and then the rest of your what you said about obstacles applies yeah the obstacles are obstacles to achieving something yeah whatever that something is that's it i like it did you try posting that on uh, twitter no i, I don't know i have been debating whether or not I was going to publicly talk about it at all right now. Well, uh, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a pretty good one. I mean, it's great. It's, um, actually, I'm going to write something down real quick. <laughs> oh no, I have to vent. It's a good, that's a good thing too, because I, I sort of, if you rack your brain, try and think of different role-playing games and, and what they do. And, and many of them, many of them you can accuse of not being games, but many of them do fall under this category. Uh, vampire. Vampire is an interesting one. Um, vampire is very much about the character's personal goals. Uh, and it can very well turn into a player versus player sort of scenario. Um, vampires are really interesting ones, particularly the uh, live-action role-playing uh, games. See, vampire is the original, oh, this is all about telling a story system. But it's not. It's about having personal goals and, and facing obstacles to them. No, let's be honest. It's about having four dots in potence and throwing cars <laughs> at people. <laughs> That's what OG Vampire is about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, even game, even weird games like that. Even when, even when you're playing a game whose goal is supposedly to tell a story. Oh, we're all getting around to tell a story. Well, you've got each person's playing a character in the story, and you've got mechanics that are used to, you know, shape the way which way the narrative goes. And you use those mechanics to basically get your way and make sure that your character achieves his or her goals. It's that's the nature of the game. And and they're so compelling. What makes them so compelling and so different from regular games, two things. The first thing is that um, unlike a traditional game, like a board game or a card game or something like that, that has a very precise, well-defined uh, win conditions, in a role-playing game, often your character's win condition is something nebulous. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to my, you know, brave young warrior. But maybe a year from now he'll be a general with his own army, or maybe he'll, maybe he'll have a mercenary company, or, you know, maybe he'll, you know, get eaten, you know, bra die bravely trying to defend the city from a dragon attack or something like that. Right? You don't know where it's open-ended. Uh, but you definitely have goals that you work towards. Um, the other thing is inhabiting the role. And this is something that has to be experienced, right? The, the most compelling thing about the role-playing game is, is when you take on that character's role. Because once again, to draw a comparison with regular games, you can explain to someone, okay, here's how the, here are the rules. This is what you do when it's your turn. And they can sort of interact with the game. And a good game can sort of the theme of the game can overlap with those rules uh, so that uh, it seems really interesting, like the rules fit the, the style of game you're playing. But in a good role-playing game, taking on a role and playing the game is exactly the same thing as being that fictional character. Uh, a good rule set makes it so that when you, Bob the Wizard, you know, chooses to use his magical powers to, you know, overcome some obstacle, uh, fireball a bunch of goblins, for example, you know, it's, it, it, there's no difference than Bob actually being a living, breathing, you know, person in a fantasy world making that decision, right? The, the, the rules that are highly associated with the actual game world that they're intended to simulate creates, uh, a, a game experience unlike any other. It's one of the things I've been thinking about AD&D. And it's just a, just a wonder I have. Wizards get marked down for, or, or magic users get marked down for engaging in Oh yeah, that was the other thing I was going to mention is, and this is the the wizards thing ties into this. Using this definition of role playing games, we now have a solid basis on whether to judge if role playing game design furthers or hinders what a game is supposed to be. And 
we can judge classes, for example, on, okay, does this class give its players a good selection of powers that enable them to overcome obstacles and a good selection of limitations that force them to be more ingenious when facing a certain class of obstacles. And then use that as the basis for judging whether or not a, a class design works. So from that point of view, the barbarian in Unearthed Arcana is a, is a colossal failure. Um, the limitations on the class are not the kind of limitations that force the player of that role, the role of the barbarian, to be more ingenious at solving or overcoming obstacles. Uh, things like, oh, you can't adventure with a magic user for more than one, blah, blah, blah so on and so forth. They just don't um, force interesting solutions on them. Uh, and so other restrictions for that, and, and in a larger sense, they don't really make sense for what the role is supposed to be either. Um, are barbarians generally opposed to magic users? And it's like, no, barbarians have shamans and witch doctors and all of these things. That's a commonly accepted part of their tribes. It's just not... It's just not a well-designed role for people to fit into. And I'm not saying it's unbalanced game-wise. I'm just saying it doesn't fulfill the purpose of what uh, a role should be for a player. It doesn't, so it's not a well-designed class. And we know that because we can look at the purpose of the class is to provide an interesting experience for the players, provide something unique for the player, and provide abilities that help them uh, overcome obstacles and limitations that make it harder to overcome obstacles so they can uh, show their ingenuity. Um, whereas the cleric, no missile thing, kind of forces them to interact in specific ways in the world. I don't believe that's part of their role-playing limitations when they're judged for it, but it means if they're going to use missile weapons, they have to do so at a uh, penalty, uh, their non-proficiency penalty. Um, and if you're looking at magic users, the one, the one thing I wonder there, and this is just, just an idle thought that just occurred to me, is... They get penalized for engaging in combat. 
and they have a really limited selection of weapons because they're not supposed to be martial, and yet they only have one first level spell at first level. And not because I think they should be more powerful, but I wonder if things like cantrips don't actually enhance the role-playing of the character class because they give them tools that you have to be creative to use to any good effect that are not melee weapons that they get marked down for uh, using. I just, I, I wonder, people sneer at cantrips like they're a bad thing. And I don't think they're, I don't think that they are needed to make the magic user more powerful at first level. I just wonder if by giving him a few other options for solving problems with magic, if it doesn't actually widen his ability to do things once they're, first level spell is expended that you have to be ingenious to to use just a wonder yeah i i don't i mean i don't know so much about that uh we could there's been a lot of ink spilled on that particular subject i but i get your point it's it's really important that uh that or sorry, you, what you're saying is that what makes a good uh, role-playing game, or or what makes a good uh, class or a role in a role-playing game, is sort of having those, having the opportunities to interact with the world and overcome those obstacles in interesting ways. Um, the famous story of the uh, cleric, how the cleric came about, uh, which was for anybody who's never heard. Uh, in the original uh, game of Dungeons and Dragons, there were fighters and magic users. And uh, the uh, the players were getting trounced by undead monsters like zombies and vampires and things like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, they they asked the ref, they, they asked Gary Gygax to help them out. You know, these guys are too strong. They're, you know, we, we can't really overcome them. And so he came up with the cleric, which is like a Van Helsing type character who, you know, ha brings healing magic and can turn the undead and everything like that. Right. It's, uh, you know, trying to fill a niche and, and make the game interesting with a role that sort of fits the milieu and also interacts with the game in interesting ways. Yeah, I just, knowing that this is what a role-playing game is, gives you a yardstick by which to judge all of the mechanics in the game. Because all of the mechanics in a game need to fulfill the purpose of a role-playing game. They need to work with, this is what a role-playing game is. They need to work with, this is what the gameplay loop is. And they need to work within, this is the purpose of the rules. So these three concepts 
provide a foundation upon which to build the design of a game. And if you're not working from these three foundational concepts, you're not going to make a good role-playing game. Someone who is working from these three foundational concepts will be able to design a game that is more clearly and cleanly designed than, you know, anything else that's been done because they can see what they're doing. It's like building a house where you're using your own foot as the foot and the other guy building it with you is using their own foot as the foot. It's going to be a little bit wonky. Where someone who has, you know, a yardstick and can measure things exactly is going to be doing a much better job. It's going to be leaking a lot less. There's going to be a lot less holes in the roof. Um, and, and all of the kind of sort of definitions of it are where we get this obsession with story from. Because people say, oh, well, role-playing game is kind of like storytelling. And so everybody hears storytelling and they run in the wrong direction. And role-playing games as an activity during play have a limited similarity with oral storytelling. In that in oral stories you describe the surroundings of a character. But that's where the similarity ends. That's right. People automatically envision sitting around a campfire telling ghost stories. Right. So the two most pertinent definitions of storytelling right now are Oral storytelling, where you're relating a story to someone, and they relate that same story to someone else, whatever, ghost stories. The other definition of storytelling that we use is someone writing a novel, which is where you have a strong internal structure, you have defined moments of success and failure, you have you know, satisfying beginning, middle, and conclusion. You have rising action and falling action and a climax. And because people say things like, oh, it's kind of like telling a story with your friends, trying to get at the definition of what a role-playing game is. People have taken that way too far into saying, okay, game masters, what you need to do is. Yeah, here's how you here's how you make those story beats happen. Here's how you write an adventure. First, you start by coming up with a screenplay like you're writing a Hollywood movie. Then, you know, so on and so forth. So. 
like I said at the beginning, this is why all of those, all of these people are wrong is because there has been no clear definition of what a role-playing game is. And everybody is working from kind of murky, half-understood definitions that don't really precisely nail what a role-playing game is. And once you understand what a role-playing game is, then it all becomes clear and what's important can rise to the top and get the focus and everything else can be put in its proper place. Um, when you put what's key at the center, everything else can be set in its proper place around it. And a lot of this confusion gets eliminated. Sounds like wishful thinking to me. Well, it doesn't mean everybody's going to adopt it. But those who do adopt it will find out that they've got a powerful tool for uh, understanding their game and, and understanding how to play a game, understanding how to design a game, understand what their players are there for and, and how to make their game interesting. Whether the players know it or not, what they're really yearning for is obstacles in the world that they can overcome. That's what makes it interesting. That's what they're there for. You know, they want to fight the challenges then. They want exploration. They don't want things just handed to them. They don't want to open up a door and there's a pile of 10,000 gold. I don't want that. That's boring. Um, when Gary Gagax railed against Monty Hall campaigns, that's what he meant. It's just boring. But on the same token, they don't want to be um, they don't want to be super constrained in their choices. They don't want to be work and work and work and work and have no reward. They don't want to be, you know, to feel like the mechanics or the world is unfair because it's a game. And so it isn't that to underscore that Bradford Walker. Yeah. Exercising agency is pointless unless the gain is earned. You yeah. earn what you what you're going after. Yeah. Well said. Role playing games are about player agency. The game master is there to put obstacles in front of players, fundamentally speaking. And players are use their ingenuity, limited and enhanced by their role to overcome those obstacles in search of some reward. 
So sounds good. Uh, well said. Well said, Warpig. Is I think the horse is dead now. I think it's a just saying you were saying in search of some goal. I think reward is a larger encompasses goals, but also you know treasure, satisfaction. Yeah, reward. So, uh, everybody who listened to this show, you've just heard the first and the only definition of a role-playing game. That's it. Every other definition of a role-playing game has been insufficient. That's it. That's the tweet. You heard it here. This is why we have the best gaming show on the uh, in the world, by the way. All right. Do you have anything else to add? I don't. I've been racking my brain thinking about all sorts of games I've played or heard of or whatever, and uh, your uh, your definition fits. It's certainly what I sit down to when I uh, what I'm looking for when I sit down to play. That's for sure. All right. Um. Oh my goodness, we are almost out of time. Yes. You ready to call it a, a night war pig? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, stay tuned for later. Uh, coming up, I'm going to talk a little bit more about RPGs. Um, got some stuff coming down the pipe for uh, Combat Frame Exceed. I want to talk a little bit about that sometime, plus whatever else comes up. Uh, next week should be a President's Day, I think. I don't know if I'll, I'll be in town in time for the Geek Cab, but I'm looking forward to it. And uh, that's about all I had to say. Awesome talking with you tonight, Daddy Warpig. Uh, love the chat. Uh, thanks to uh, Robert Stevens, Bradford Walker, uh, Simon Hogwood in the chat. Uh, I hope everybody listening later really enjoys our discussion and uh, gets to exercising that brand new perfect 100% objectively correct definition of what a role-playing game is. And that's it for me for this week, Warpig. All right, folks, I want to thank everyone who showed up and listened live. Uh, and I also want to thank everyone who will listen later. Uh, this is Geek Gab. We're here just about every Monday, just about the same time, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can get us on youtube.com slash geekgab. Once again, that's youtube.com slash geekgab. Or you can find us on at our blog, uh, geekgabfest.wordpress.com. You can also uh, check out the show on uh, the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, and soundcloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab. Folks, we are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.